0: Here we go. Episode 50 is on for today. Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, Certified Financial Planner at RPA Wealth Management, and Joshua Wierswijk, Certified Financial Planner. The big 5-0, guys. How's it feel to hit number 50?
1: I'm excited. You know, we started this project. I think we agreed to try like 12 episodes and, you know, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but here we are, episode 50. Excited for 50 more.
2: I can't believe it's already 50. I mean, time's just flying by.
1: You know, it seemed like yesterday we were
2: just getting this all started, and
0: now it's already 50, so it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun than the first ones, where weren't, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, just like anything with practice, you get a little bit more comfortable. I think, you know, leading up to the podcast, it's a little nerve-wracking, like, when you're first doing them, but now it's, I think it's turned into more excitement. What have you enjoyed most about doing the podcast,
0: Matt?
1: Um, You know, I actually just like the banter um, with the three of us. It's fun to get out, talk about your thoughts and hear your your perspective as well as, you know, work and refine my own. And then I also like the feedback we get from clients and prospective clients like, oh, I heard your podcast. I, I liked it. So that feels good.
2: Yeah, that that does feel good. And yeah, I also just like the banter, you know, actually having a little structured conversation with you guys and seeing your thoughts on things. Maybe I didn't even know. Um, so it's just been a lot of fun and fun to share it with, you know, our listeners, family and friends.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great forum to be able to, to fill people in on what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into the hot take headlines. Uh, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos will fly to space on Blue Origins inaugural space flight. Uh, the trip will take place next month. Um, Blue Origin is planning on sending three people in its first manned flight. Bezos, his brother, and one lucky bidder. What's your thought on this? It seems a little crazy.
1: Yeah, so the richest man in the world is going to space. Um and i guess he's going to be the first citizens shot up to space which is quite interesting um you know when you the headline you think like oh wow that's crazy he's going to be gone for like you know two months or something like that but i think he's just like kind of going up like he's going to get to peek at the earth and then he's coming back down i don't know to me it sounds risky but you know the world's richest guy who started amazon doesn't have a lot to lose at this point right
2: well i think that you know especially just building his business, he took a lot of risks to to achieve what he's already accomplished. So I'm sure he has a pretty big appetite for risk. And I think in the article, it said that it was always his dream since he was like five to go to space. It's pretty cool that, you know, he made that dream come true for himself. But I think, you know, it is pretty crazy to think that they're only going to be up there for, I think they said like three minutes where they get to be out of their seats. And then they come back down to Earth. And what did that last seat go for? Was it like twenty-eight million?
1: Oh, I don't know. Did the bidding finish? I think the bidding
2: finished, and the last guy actually
1: he he won it. Wow! I I
2: could be wrong, but I want to say the the seat actually was like twenty-eight million. I don't know if I spent twenty-eight million
1: to go to space for three minutes. So how long's this whole trip? I mean, I don't know how long it takes to get up. I mean, imagine maybe a couple hours or less. I mean, you said he doesn't have a lot to lose, but I mean,
0: if you're uh... A multi-multi billionaire. I guess you do kind of have a lot to lose, right? Because you could lose your life of a life of luxury that he probably lives.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it makes sense now that he stepped down, you know, as the CEO of Amazon, and now he's just focusing on this Blue Origin. But in the beginning of uh, one of the articles I read on this story, and it was funny because it's they pinned it as like the battle of the billionaires. Yeah. For like the travel to space. I thought that was pretty funny.
1: This is probably what we're going to hear about the next 10 years is all these billionaires, Musk, Branson, and um, Bezos battle it out over who gets to control space tourism.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like space, the moon, Mars. Does NASA have their hand in any of this? Do they, they, they assist in any of this?
1: Yeah, I think NASA hands out some contracts um, to, to launch satellites on the SpaceX side. I don't know if Blue Origin is doing that. But for the most part, a a lot of these, Musk, uh, Bezos, and I believe Branson are doing a lot of the funding of this with their own pockets.
0: So they have to be pretty confident, at least Bezos has to be pretty confident that this thing can get up and get back, right?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And I think it's not as, you're not going as far into space. I think like Matt said, you're kind of going to like the edge, um, you know, like of our atmosphere, just so it has that feeling that you're really deep
0: into space and then you come back down.
1: He's not traveling to the moon or anything, or like to the space station or to Mars.
0: Well, I guess it's it's interesting too because if he goes up and he comes back safe, it's be curious to see what happens from there.
1: Yeah, and it's showing that he
2: believes in you know his company and, and the mission and making you know other people feel confident because you know I think their goal is to send tons of civilians into space that want to go. Would you go up? I would, just not for twenty eight million dollars. <laughs> would you go up?
1: Uh, no, I'm cool here. Uh, there's nothing in space for me. <laughs> i'll take your position i have kids so <laughs> just the thrill huh you don't
2: you don't want to it'd be pretty cool to say you went to space and to see space i mean just uh, that's what's kind of alluring to me.
1: i mean i don't like flying over the ocean so like, i'm cool
0: <laughs> <laughs> so el salvador one of the poorest countries in the world has become the first country to approve bitcoin as their legal tender The el salvadorian government has said it hopes the move to bitcoin would help The 70% of its population that doesn't have access to traditional financial services. What's happening here with this? It's been in the news. It's been reported a lot. What are they planning on doing with Bitcoin there?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of a confusing story. Um, So El Salvador, like many South American countries, uses the dollar as as their currency. Um, And they are going to start accepting Bitcoin essentially uh, merchants and the governments which which is interesting and we'll we'll see how you know bitcoin does in this you know but i i for one i don't know about you guys i'm just getting sick of hearing about bitcoin and, and the problem is the people who like bitcoin so much are just like really annoying about it either online or on tv <laughs> it's like dude we get it you're into bitcoin that's cool changing their uh profile pics with laser eyes yeah exactly um, but for the most part, to me, this is a much smaller story than being talked about in the news. El Salvador is a very small country. Um, every state in the United States is larger than El Salvador.
0: You know, we'll see. So how would they exchange it? I mean, you go to the market and you're going to use a Bitcoin debit card of some sort. Like, how are you exchanging? You're paying it in and how are you transferring money?
1: Well, that's, a, that's a, good, a good question, bro. I don't think they've figured that out yet. I just think they're going for the headline here. And then the other thing, too, is it's one of the poorest countries, uh, you know, not only in, in, is it South or Central America? Central America. They're in Central yeah, one of the America. poorest countries in Central so America. So, they're one of the poorest countries in Central America. And, you know, one Bitcoin is, what, thirty, 000, forty thousand dollars $40,000? So, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and what's confusing to me about it is, like, if Bitcoin's value is constantly moving... You know, you have stability here with the dollar. So if something costs a dollar, you exchange it for a dollar. It's a, it costs a dollar, you know what your profit and losses are on that product. But if you're exchanging something there and Bitcoin's value is constantly moving, like are you adjusting prices in the supermarket every second based on, you know, a pound of meat cost a different now than it does 10 minutes ago because Bitcoin's constantly moving?
1: Yeah, so if Bitcoin drops 10% like it does on a regular basis, then are they going to, you know, drop the price of... uh the, the beef they're selling. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I
2: don't know how they're going to all work that out. I think that's all still being managed, but it is, you know, risk. There's a lot of risk involved in this too. I know that, you know, just reading through the story and, and researching this a little bit, you know, using the U.S. dollar can be a little bit more stable and kind of a disadvantage to these poorer company, uh, countries because there's just not as much room for growth using the US dollar as their legal tender. So I think one of the, you know, reasons why also is El Salvador saying we're a really poor country using Bitcoin for our legal tender could also have some upside with the growth. So paying off debt, um, you know, we we have Bitcoin at 30,000, it grew to 60,000, we could use some of that growth to pay off of our country's debt or use it for infrastructure and stuff like that. But then you know it's not talked about. What if it goes the opposite way and loses? Like what happens then? So you're just you know you're adding more risk to you know this
0: country that's already extremely poor. I'm not very confident in, in that. Well, we'll see how it plays out, and it'll be interesting over the next couple of months and years to see where it goes from here. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the retirement planning corner for our 50th episode. Uh, we have a great topic today. We're going to talk about. The three things for each of us that we've really thought about, uh, learned since we've been not only financial advisors, but since we started this podcast, uh, in areas of just great knowledge of of topics and headlines of stuff financially that we can do. And we're going to go through our our lessons of what we've learned. Matt, why don't we just kick off Retirement of Planning Corner about some of the planning lessons that you've learned since over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, so the the first one that, you know, I've changed my mind on or kind of learned was active versus passive investing. So active investing, right? You're actively going out there and trying to pick winning stocks, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, uh, what have you. Um, You're trying to beat the stock market. Passive is you're buying all the stocks on the market using like a fund, an ETF, a mutual fund and when i started my career or you know when i started getting into investing i was a big active stock manager i was you know doing the call options picking stocks doing put options you know i thought i was gonna be like a jim kramer type
0: how'd that work out for you
1: not great and so <laughs> i actually stopped investing for like a year because i was like so beaten down after the financial crisis were you in cash or were you just hold held your positions uh cash and then i held a few positions and then i started working in the investment industry um as a financial advisor specifically and i you know really got big about becoming a passive you know investor and you know doing your retirement funds and vanguard and dfa and you know any kind of index fund and for a long time i was like oh that's the only only way to go but I, I've recently changed my mind, and I, I believe a, a really good strategy for a lot of people, if you are into the stock market and you want to follow, it, is doing your retirement, retirement accounts passive, because um, that's the best way to get predictable growth. And then um, you know, creating yourself a trading account or a speculation account, and you know, buying good stocks or good businesses and holding them for forever. Like, you know, I basically buy a stock and I don't really ever sell it.
0: That's assuming you want to put the time into it.
1: Yeah, so, I assuming mean, you want to put the time into it, yes. And you enjoy it. Yeah, I mean you have to. It's got to be kind of like a semi-hobby for yours.
0: Yeah, you know, is that your recommendation for a lot of everyday people, or is it just sort of your thought on where the market has moved and how you can manage portfolios?
1: I think it's my It's my recommendation, certainly for people who are interested in the stock market and you know want to invest some of their their savings um, to, to go that route you know, build a portfolio of 10 to 20 stocks. Um, But, you know, don't turn it over too frequently. Like you need to hold them for five to 10 years. And then on the retirement side, definitely do the Vanguard DFA passive funds. I think it's a really good lesson, especially as like active
2: stock picking and active, like in speculation, investing has gotten more popular. It seems like over the last year and a half, if you don't have that foundation and, and, you know, that passive building block and all of your money is in that active or speculation like that's a very dangerous strategy and it seems like a lot of especially young people are leaning towards that side recently
0: josh what are some of your lessons
2: Uh, My first lesson, I went more recently just with with some lessons, especially like since we started the podcast. But my first lesson, um, I got married. I just had my second year wedding anniversary and um, dated my wife for a long time um, before we got married. But one thing that a lesson that I learned is just starting the the financial conversation with your partner a lot sooner than later. So it's just very valuable, you know, um, getting married and, and picking a partner is also a financial decision, right? I mean, you're combining incomes, you're combining your household, and you're going to be on this financial journey together. So even before you get married, having you know, that open conversation about finances, about income, about debt, coming up with a plan, and then also going into your wedding, actually sitting down and creating a budget. Weddings can be very expensive no matter what the age or how much help you have. So it's very easy to go over that budget. I experienced that and now I want to share that experience of you know, making sure that you you do have a plan, making sure that open conversation and that open dialogue between you and your partner and families is, is always there and, and coming up with a budget before you get married. Um, so you can really just focus on the happiness of it all. You know, it's not so much of a financial stress that you go through that time because it is just such a, a very beautiful time, you know, getting married. Um, so that's, uh, that's my first lesson.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess one of the things that strikes me about that too, um, as you're saying that is that, you know, that, that as a young person is a transition to a new chapter in life. And I would think that even for retirement that pertains, that as you go into that new chapter, you should be having that conversation with your spouse, no matter how long you've been married. Let's have that financial discussion about what this transition is going to look like, what it's going to cost us, what debts do we need to pay off? How do we successfully go into retirement, and transition from work? Same kind of concept. It's just a different stage of life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And even for people who are getting married in life, right? Or might even be successful already. Like it still needs to be a conversation to be had because you just don't want finances to lead to negative conversations. They should be positive and they should be feel like you accomplish something as you have them. So Like you said, I mean, you can relate that to a lot of different aspects, especially like even retirement. And it relates to anybody, you know, going through marriage, young or old.
0: Yeah. If you have the, if, if your marriage is struggling financially, I mean, it's so important to either bring on an advisor or really sit down and spend time going through the finances and going through it with great detail. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My first lesson uh, that I want to go over is one that I've had a lot of conversations with, not only with clients, but a lot of people And that is dollar cost averaging. One thing that I've noticed in my career time and time again is that when a person is putting into their 401k plan, you tend to see higher rates of return because they're constantly putting new money in into positions that they're purchasing at all different market prices. That's number one. The second part of that is that I've had a lot of conversations right now about people who have money sitting in cash. They don't know when to get it in or how to get it in. Another great way to do that is you don't have to go in all at once. You know, we talk about getting your money invested, get in when you have it, but you don't always have to go in all at once. If you're a little bit concerned about where the market is, you can step tiptoe your way in. You place trades. Now you set another date. Let's say you'd set a target date, two months from now, the first of the month you get those next trades in, but you stick to that plan. You create yourself a plan, you dollar cost in. And the other thing to do, I think in investing, that's so critical is you should be putting in monthly. If you're saving, it doesn't just have to be your 401k plan. It should be in an after-tax brokerage account, the individual stocks like you're talking about, Matt, but do it consistently, place your trades consistently or get it automated so that your trades go in. But dollar cost averaging at different prices will help your rate of return. And it's going to help you constantly be buying shares at different prices that will help you with your long-term goal.
1: Yeah, well said, Brent. Such a great strategy to build wealth. And, and you want to know how you end up with, you know, a million, $2 million in your 401k by the time you go to retire. Um, it's by setting up that constant saving strategy and investing periodically every time you get a paycheck. You could do it outside in an after tax brokerage account as well. And it'll have the same compounding effect.
0: Yeah, you, it seems like over time, it grows so much faster than if you just put a lump sum of money in there and you just think it's going to grow. Fast over time, it doesn't work like that. You got to be dollar cost averaging, buy it in. If you're sitting on the sidelines, you don't know when to get in. Put a schedule together when you're going to place your trades. Get it in slowly. Get the money consistently. Getting in the market. Matt, what's your second lesson?
1: All right. So this is one that you know. For the longest time, I was anti-home buying. Um, I you know, I just never thought the numbers made sense for a lot of people, and they still don't. I I still don't think the majority of people should be rushing into home ownership. I think it's a big mistake, but what I've realized is there becomes a certain time in your life where you're going to most likely need to purchase a home. And it happens with a life change. Typically, you know, most likely it'll be with a child. And when that happens, you need to buy a home. And regardless of if it's a good financial investment, which it most likely is not the best use of your money, you got to do it. You got you to gotta suck it up and you got to buy the home and you know make it yours and it's it's your nest to raise your family. So I I've definitely changed my mind on home home buying. The big rent guys coming into the
0: lessons learned on now purchasing, huh?
1: Yeah you know things change
0: things do change matt this wasn't always your stance so
2: definitely a lesson i feel there was some pretty
0: heated conversations in the podcast about renting and how important it is to rent (laughs) yeah and now now that houses are all-time highs you're saying to go purchase
1: (laughs) yeah well no i'm not saying that i'm saying you're gonna hit a certain point where you need to and then you know as your family expands you probably are gonna hit a certain point where you need to upgrade your home and expand maybe the bedrooms or space. And then as you go into retirement, you probably actually need to downgrade your home because you might not need as much space. But
2: I think like what a lot you're saying, too, is like you're in like a more stable place. So like it makes more sense. It's it's providing you more than just a, an investment or like a finan- it's not a, just a financial decision of the ownership of the home. It's for your family and it's a place for you to live and enjoy um, when you take all of the numbers out of it.
1: I still believe, though, if you want to be, you know, rich, like having, you know, big bank account, big brokerage account, big retirement account, that buying a home is probably not a good idea at first.
2: Yeah, And I agree with you. I mean, I don't think renting and saving is, is a bad strategy. It's a very good strategy if you're disciplined you know, you don't have all of those extra costs. So good lesson, though. I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited you kind of changed your mind on something. <laughs> I'll go into my uh, my next lesson. I'm going to stay on the, the real estate topic. So I just feel like, you know, especially studying finance and being a financial advisor, a lot of the conversations I have revolve around real estate and it being, you know, the the best way to create passive income or the only way a lot of times that people think that they can create passive income. And the lesson that I've learned is that, you know, especially now there's so many other ways that you can create passive income and really passive income is, you know, the idea of making your money work for you, right? You take some of your capital and you invest it and it's going to give you a rate of return. So you're not laboring for that, you know, rate of return or that earned income. So real estate does do that in the form of, you know, you buy a house, you can rent it out and it creates that passive income. But a lot of people also, you know, that I meet with don't understand that your investments can create passive income, right? So just take him, for example, Matt talked about brokerage accounts. You save money and you invest it and actually creates interest and dividends and it has growth within it that can actually create passive income. And that's just another way. So really my lesson is, is that real estate isn't the only option. It can be an option and it can be a good option if you have a good plan. But there are also other ways like investment portfolios. You can also invest in starting your own business that can create passive income as well Um, or investing in other businesses. So privately held. So I just think that, you know, although real estate very popular is is an option, it just isn't the only option to be creating that passive income.
1: Such a great point. And then, you know, you look at what, uh, you know, real estate investment compounds at, and it compounds at nothing close to what a, a good business or, or essentially a stock would compound at. So I just pulled up Google, right? Google has been public now for over, over 15 years. Its 15-year average compound um, rate is 18.3% per year. Its all-time compound rate is almost 26%. Since it's been public, every year it's gone up at least on average 26% that's insane. No homes doing that. Thanks for supporting my lesson. <laughs> no, that is amazing. And and you can see that there's another
2: option. Why aren't we exploring it? I think another part of that too, is like the real estate before you even go into that conversation is making sure you understand what is that actual internal rate of return of the property going to potentially be like, what is that rate of return on your capital or your money? Um, You know, like we can pull up Google's appreciation and, and growth and, and find that out through a Google search. We need to be doing that as well, looking at the history and projecting it forward with real estate. So again, just not the only option.
0: I think that's one of the most critical points is what is your real rate of return? Because a lot of people will come in and say, well, I want to buy this rental property and I'm going to get passive income. But typically they're not buying it all cash. They're financing part of it or a lot of it. And there's actually no rate of return. Is it really even considered passive income if you don't have any income from it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, after you're factoring in taxes, maintenance cost, Insurance. um, just your loan, all of that stuff, like what is actually your net rate of return? If you can answer that and it's great, awesome. That's a good investment. But if you can't or it's not great, it's not the only other
1: option that you have. So it's passive doesn't... income for the bank who's lending you the money. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of risk to that as well. Which they don't we need to through. make any more money, those banks. So my next lesson is uh health over wealth. It's something that I've learned. A lot about over the last couple of years. And I think it's a message that a lot of people um, need to hear is, and that is if you know, everybody's been through a tough last year and a half. And if you're retired and you haven't taken a trip in a while, but you're worried about spending the extra money or finances, let me tell you, if you're healthy and you know that you can afford it in a sense, go out and do it. Do it now. Don't wait till you're older. Enjoy life while you're healthy and strong because no matter how much money you have saved, that can't replace your health. We all know that. Um, but sometimes we just need to hear it that take that enjoyment and go do it. Take that next step, spend the extra money and do it while you're happy because once your health goes, that enjoyment won't be the same going and doing those same those same trips. And whether that's with purchasing a house or whatever it is that you think about that's going to make you happy. You know, finances are a major part, but while you're healthy, you know, spend a little bit of that extra money.
1: Yeah, I think optimizing for health is one of those um, industries that we're going to see just continue to explode over the the next 20 years, kind of like how optimizing your finances is exploding right now. You know, you bring up a great point that, you know, being healthy is probably more important than being wealthy. And I think people are starting to realize that.
2: Yeah, I think I also just agree. What a great lesson. Without the health, you know it, it doesn't mean anything, and you know, I think a good point that you made is also enjoying it while you are healthy and and just to kind of compound even Matt's point, like if you can stay healthy longer, meaning like focusing on your health, you know you're going to be just
0: happy even longer. So great point, Brent. One of the things that we're always encouraging and we do it in our meetings is if a client's thinking about a trip and they don't know if they want to take the money out we always encourage them to go. It's like go do it, enjoy it, and spend a little bit more even than what you're planning on spending because we'll make it work. We can make adjustments. We're meeting on a regular basis. It's not like one day you have money and the next day you're not. We'll make it work. We'll figure it out and go enjoy life because those are the things that you're going to remember. And if your health goes, you're not going to have any options to do those things. Yeah, good point.
1: All right, so my next lesson is... Really about, you know, being an entrepreneur, starting a business and, you know, owning pieces of businesses. And what I've really started to find throughout the last five years of my career is that is the true way you make wealth in this, um, in this country. And the typically for us, the most wealthiest people that we sit across are, are business owners. And as a a parent, I want to instill that value into my kids or my kid right now. And I, for a long time, you know, I always thought that, you know, you'd go work for somebody else and that's how you'd become rich. You'd work your way up and you'd get paid a high salary and that's that's what being rich is. But that's that's not it at all. It's, it's entrepreneurship. That's the true way to the American dream. And we need to start instilling that more into kids' values and, you know, stop telling them to essentially be worker bees.
0: We've seen it so many times with clients that their first generation coming to this country they start a business right away when they get there. They have a tremendous amount of success starting a business. They, they know how to do it. They work hard. And, and they provide a, a really good lifestyle for their kids. It feels like in this country, we kind of push kids to go to college and work for corporate America instead of instilling that other, you know, way of doing things.
1: Yeah,
2: like there's another option, right? Starting your own business. And I think, you know, Matt, again, just another really, really great lesson of seeing how wealth accumulates by working with clients. And that's the common theme, business owners. I mean, it really is. And I think that, you know, as if we could teach that to our children that college and working for corporate America isn't the only option, these, you know, business owners is another way and being your own boss, I think it's just gonna relate into positive effects, you know, to the youth. I mean even ourselves. And so, you know, there is always the other option. If you have a great idea, if you have a, you know, a great service idea or a product. America's great for for entrepreneurship. Oh, like, yeah. and, and so take advantage of that. And and that's really gonna help you compound wealth.
1: Yeah, and not even for kids. I mean, if you're in your 40s, 50s, and, and you're sitting listening to this podcast today and you hate your job and you're thinking, I can't wait till I retire, you're counting the days, you know, maybe look at entrepreneurship. Go find a business to start and, and build that business like you have your career.
0: Yeah, and I think that the, one of the challenges I see too is like, you know, if we don't even teach the youth about how to manage their own expenses, like how do you even begin to explain to them how to manage your business expenses? It's just another layer of complexity. So it starts at a young age, but you're right. If you're sitting there and you have a skill set and you've been working in a job and you're not happy, by all means, look at starting a business, whether it's purchasing a business, look to see what's out there or that's already existing or or starting your own. I mean, there is risk involved, but sometimes
1: you got to take those. Yeah. No risk, no reward. Uh, Isn't it like, what's that football coach say? No biscuit, no risk it or something. What's he say? Yeah. Uh, no risk it, no biscuit. Yeah. Is that it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, my last lesson. Uh, I got it's kind of two parts. One and just really easy. Um, avoid bad debt. And especially we're going into a period where like, you know, the country's opening back up. We're gonna be spending more money as Americans as that happens. Um, avoid the credit card debt, living within your means. Setting up autosave and paying yourself first of bad debt um, is just going to ruin your financial plan um, and it's going to cause frustration and stress. Um, so avoiding bad debt is just so, so important. And as you're, you know, growing your wealth, avoiding bad debt, just making sure that you also protect that wealth in your family. And, you know, insurance can do that or you can self-protect your, you know, your family um, with your own assets. But, You know, those two things kind of, um, maybe that's like three and four, but I'm just going to call it three. Avoiding the bad debt and protecting your family as you accumulate wealth and grow your family is just so important in the lesson that I've continued to learn, not only since college, but
1: even now. Bad debt would be using like a credit card debt?
2: Yeah. So, you know, bad debt using for things that you can't afford. Let's just put it that way. Right. Um. You know, there's different definitions. I mean, we can go with a bunch of different examples, but just not financing things you can't afford, um, and then never really getting out of the hole or never being able to pay them off. You know, a car that you can't afford, credit cards um, for trips and stuff that you can't afford and using them. Um, you know, it's just really important that if you want to stay on a, a positive, successful financial journey, avoiding that bad debts, you know, the way to go.
0: Yeah. And it's such an important foundation. I mean, the thought should always be in a person's mind is I, I'm not wanting to make the big corporations rich. I want to make myself wealthy. So avoiding bad debt will help make yourself wealthy, not making everybody else wealthy. Yep. Uh, My last lesson is uh, no matter how wealthy you are, you're still worrying about not running out of money when you get into retirement. So whether you have a million, 20 million, 50 million, it doesn't really matter. It's all relative to where that person is at. And everybody at different stages of their finances still worry about the same thing when they retire. We have conversations with people on all different spectrums of wealth. Everybody really says the same thing. How do I live the rest of my life without running out of money? And that's understanding your expenses, your spending, your income, your financial plan. I think it's an absolutely critical path. Everyone thinks that when you have enough money, you don't worry about money. Let me tell you something no matter how much money you have, you're worrying about not having money.
1: Josh, what's that uh, rap song, More Money, More Problems?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mace P. Diddy.
0: Yes. And Puff Daddy, I don't
2: know his name today. But. Well, that was like, what,
1: 20, <laughs> 25 years ago, that song came out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that song. Uh, the, the more I've grown in the industry, the, the more I've seen that. The more money people have that come into our office, the more problems they have and the more complex these are. It's absolutely true.
0: It's so true. Yeah, so don't feel like you don't have enough money to not be too worried about your spending or you're in a different ballpark because of the money you have and you're more worried about your spending or your expenses. That is true for everybody. Everybody across all boards are worried about making sure they have enough for the rest of their life. But it takes careful planning. That's really what it comes down to. Once you understand it, what your money has and what you can afford, then that's when things begin to change.
1: Yeah. Don't think Jeff Bezos doesn't stress out about spending billions of dollars on his rocket ships he certainly is right and that's a billionaire yeah
2: and look at i mean that he stepped down from amazon to focus more on this business why because he's worried about it being successful and making money yep
0: i I think they're great points great lessons and if anybody has thoughts or feedbacks or want to reach out to us about these lessons give us a call so we
1: hit episode 50 where do we go from here we got more shows video sponsorship yeah I, i think you know it'd be cool if we added more shows and then maybe we would mess around with video i know we've always talked about the three of us Um, but i just think it's amazing what we've been able to grow and you know thank you to our clients and loyal listeners for you know listening for the past 50 episodes um you know we really appreciate you supporting us
0: yeah we had some bad audio through the covid but we didn't really have an option at that time
1: yeah that was a scary time and you know the the you don't want to stop the pod because you want to keep it going. You want to be consistent and you want to put out, you know, content for listeners at that point. So yeah, sorry about the audio.
2: Yeah, and we, we love feedback. And I just can't believe again that we've already had 50 shows. But thank you to all the listeners and everyone who's kind of supported the podcast and us. It's been so fun and looking forward to continuing to do the podcast. I oh,
1: I think we should bring on guests too. Like maybe we'll start getting some guests on the show as we go for those next 50 episodes. That might be a cool and a nice little twist. I like that idea. Yeah, definitely bring
0: some experts in some other fields that kind of are related. I, I completely agree uh matthew why don't you hit us off do you have an rpa I recommend today
1: um yeah so it's summertime right now um weather's pretty nice in the evening uh to nighttime. Uh, maybe checking out some kind of movie night in in your lawn with a projector, um, a screen. I did that this last weekend. It was really nice. So yeah, Prime Day is coming up. I think you could get some nice projectors on sale and and a screen. The screens aren't actually that expensive. I think they're like $100 so.
2: So for the listeners, how hard is that to set up?
1: It's pretty easy. You get the screen, you get the projector. Um, You put the projector probably like 10 feet behind the screen. Oh, no, excuse me, in front of the screen. And then uh, I plugged an Apple TV into mine, but you could plug a Roku, you could plug uh, one of the Google sticks or a Fire Stick, and you just need an internet connection and you're good to go.
2: Yeah, that's really cool.
1: Sounds like a great backyard event. Yeah, it is. It's fun. It's good for kids. Uh, They like it.
2: Uh, I'm going to go from my recommends today. As people start to spend more money on travel, right? We've seen that with bookings and everything else. Do a review of your credit card points and, and taking a look at, you know, really seeing what your credit card points are getting you, what is that calculation of the points for your spending, and especially if you're going to be planning a big trip, right? They even have some, you know, travel insurance options through the cards or car rental insurance options. So I think now is just a good time as everyone starts to get ramped up for summer. Spending starts to increase. You're going to be traveling more. Do a review of your credit cards. There is a site that I like. I mean, there's a few sites out there that are good. I say do your research. But uh, one that we've been using a little bit more recently, thepointsguy.com. You know, he has good reviews on all of the newest credit cards that are going to maximize your reward points for spending. But remember, stay disciplined. Don't be using those
0: credit cards more than you can afford. Yeah, pay, you got to pay them off for those rewards to come through. Exactly. <laughs> Great recommend. Uh, my recommend is Jay Hilburn. Uh, Jay Hilburn is a designer clothing company. Uh, what they do is they have stylists that will fit you and, um, and then tailor and make the clothes so that they actually fit you well. So if you have something nice coming up or you want, you know, not off the rack clothes that you have to take to get tailored, it's not that much more expensive to go with a company where they have a stylist that can make you look really nice. If you're like me, for the longest time I didn't know how to put outfits together. It's a great way if you got really some things coming up, check them out. They're online. You can get a stylist. They can put outfits together. They come out to you and 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 really design your outfit line. Yeah, and I think it's like a,
2: you know, not a more affordable than people think once you, you know, when you go buy a suit and then you have to go get it tailored and you calculate all that that cost. I don't think it, I think it's more affordable than people think, you know, because you're not going to have to probably go get it custom tailored.
0: Yeah. I don't think people really realize that. Like when you buy something off the rack and then you got to take it in and you got all these other costs, it, it's kind of just easier and you're going to look much nicer and you get better quality of clothes that last you longer by using some, some kind of de- designer like Joe Hoborn. Yeah. Your outfits look good, man. I'm trying, man. I have a, I have a pretty wife, so I got to try and look pretty for her. Look nice <laughs> for her. All right. So, uh, As advisors, we love helping people. That's why we do it. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You could also download our ebook from our website. Uh, If you'd like the show notes, please go to Retirement Plan Playbook. And thanks for listening. Uh, Boys, how about another 50 shows? Let's do it. Happy 50. Thank you, guys.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you. Goodbye. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor public disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A, from Brochure, and 2B, Brochure Supplement, to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.